0: chapter twenty of household puzzles by pansy this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty a protector it was a beautiful room not small mrs Munroe disliked small rooms and had as little to do with them as possible but it was so daintily furnished with household conveniences and comforts as to give an idea of coziness and diminutiveness the walls were hung with a delicate tint of buff bordered with a deep maroon, rich maroon carpet on the floor, chairs and sofas and little cunning ottomans all in rich maroon rep, even the spread for the tiny round table was of the same glowing color. It was Mrs. Monroe's sitting-room. There were little corner stands, with books and papers and sewing materials, and brackets with vases and flowers. There was everywhere that beautiful, systematic, unstiffness of arrangement, which a tasteful lady knows how to bestow upon the family room. In the centre of this fair room sat the lady of the house, her toilette quite in keeping with her surroundings, the colours of her dress blending harmoniously with the prominent colours of the room. Mrs. Munroe had an eye for details. Sometimes, however, the most fastidious lady is obliged to endure contrasts. Mrs. Munroe's companion was a contrast— he sat in one of the luxurious maroon chairs. His hat, tipped on one side, showed plainly that a blow or wound of some sort had blackened his left eye. His coat was torn away in front, as if he had rescued it from a rude grasp. His boots were thick with black, filthy-looking mud. His face was flushed an unnatural red, and his breathing, or rather snoring, had a strange unnatural sound. Mrs. Monroe had let her java canvas slip from her silken dress to the floor, and sat with clasped hands, looking steadily at the sleeping object before her. It was perfectly plain to any looker-on that his sleep was that which is caused by taking a glass too much. A drunken man! Well, if he were only Jim Smith living over the wretched little corner rum-hole, that would be the proper name to use— but inasmuch as he was Mr. Horace Monroe of the firm of Evans Monroe & Company, people hesitated and generally said that he was a little overcome with liquor. There were no tears in his wife's eyes. Helen Monroe was not one who had tears to spare for many occasions. This one did not call them forth. But if you have never pitied her in your life, I hope you do now. She needs pity. It is an old story." It has been repeated until it is familiar to everyone, and I think we American people must enjoy its recital. We take such pains to manufacture just such homes as these. I suppose it never grows commonplace to the suffering wife. There were features about this family life that made it peculiarly terrible. Mrs. Munroe had in the place of an absorbing love, such as the marriage relation should be built upon— only a composed, quiet friendship for her husband. Perhaps you think that would make the trial less hard. I tell you, I don't think so. I have known drunkards' wives clinging to their husbands with almost godlike pity and patience, as they sank from one depth to another, and those wives were sustained by that blessed love that God had given them for their husbands. It enabled them to bear up under trials that would otherwise have crushed them, to cling where they would otherwise have spurned, to hope when others despaired. I say it was harder for Mrs. Monroe, because she did not love her husband. She liked the position that he had given her, she liked her beautiful home and all its tasteful appointments, but sitting there that evening, looking at the red-faced, swollen-eyed, filthy creature whose name she bore, whose wife she was, she hated the very sight of him, and if there is anything more terrible in all this pitiful earth than that, I don't know what it can be. I have heard people tell of what strange and queer, and sometimes trivial, thoughts come to them when they believed themselves to be drowning. Some of the thoughts of this young wife were equally strange. She sat, with dry, wide-open eyes, and stared at her husband. How strange that such a pitiable wretch should bear that name! love honor and protect she said repeating a scrap of the marriage service which came to her just then repeating it with curling lips of scorn the city clock struck nine she counted the strokes from the force of newly acquired habit she compared the time with her little gold watch which was a present from her husband always in the house nearly across the street as the clock struck nine the head of the house took down the family bible AND THE HOUSEHOLD GATHERED FOR PRAYERS. SUPPOSE IT WAS THEIR CUSTOM IN THIS FAMILY. HOW WOULD THEY MANAGE IT THIS EVENING? HE IS MUCH TOO DRUNK TO KNEEL, SHE SAID ALOUD, AND THEN SHE LAUGHED, A TERRIBLE LAUGH. SUCH NATURES AS HELEN MONROE'S ARE SOMETIMES BROUGHT, THROUGH HEAVY TRIAL AND PAIN, TO KNEEL IN UTTER SELF-ABDIGNATION, AND FIND PEACE. SOMETIMES SUCH NATURES AS HERS ARE BROUGHT TO MADHOUSES THROUGH LIKE TRIALS her laugh was like that. She went on with her half-insane thoughts. What if he were not my husband? What if he were some miserable street loafer who had blundered in here? I wonder what I should do with him. I should probably scream to my husband to protect me from him. But who is there to protect me from my husband? Then she laughed again. Perhaps I should kill him. Perhaps I shall, anyway. Then I should be a widow." but I don't think murder would be a very hard thing to do. I can think of worse things. The front doorbell rang. There was a slipping of bolts and voices in the hall, the girls, a foolish young second girl, it was Rebecca's evening out, and a gentleman's. Mrs. Monroe heard neither bell nor voices. She heard her husband's breathing. The girl knew that her mistress was in the sitting-room, and that Mr. Monroe had recently come in. That was all she knew. Nothing was more natural than that she should throw open the door of the sitting-room to Mr. Harper. He came forward with quick step and cheerful voice. "'Good evening, Mrs. Monroe. I fear I am intruding on the quiet of family life, but I have a little item of business of some importance. Can I see your husband?' Mrs. Monroe was a woman of two natures. One was made up of fierce, strong pride. She sprang to her feet, her first impulse to take mr harper by the shoulders and thrust him from the room any one but him oh for that man to know the depths to which she had fallen was the bitterness of horror her second thought was the utter impossibility of keeping secret their dreadful condition and the utter incongruity of his errand she laughed in his face that fearful laugh it is an infinite pity to have disturbed such delightful family communion as ours. I hardly know how to forgive you. Oh, yes, you can see my husband. I presume he will be very happy to discuss important business with you. There he is. All this in almost a moment of time, and she pointed her scornful finger at the sleeping man. Mr. Harper wheeled in bewilderment, following the pointing finger. One glance at Mr. Monroe's face and dress and position, and he comprehended the situation. Then an almost infinite pity took possession of him, and an almost equal embarrassment. What to do, what to say, rather what not to say. He stood in utter silence and dismay, until a glance at an opposite mirror, in which was reflected Mrs. Monroe's stony face, recalled to him the necessity of doing something. He turned to her— "'Mrs. Munro, nothing can justify my intrusion upon you, but the hope that I can do something for you. In what way can I best help you?' "'I want no help,' she said, with hardness in her voice. "'What help is there for me?' "'May I bring someone to you, your brother or sisters?' Again Mrs. Munroe laughed. "'My brother!' she said in an utterly scornful tone he is probably in the same delightful condition. They have been on a pleasure excursion, you understand? As for my sisters, they are the last persons on the face of the earth that I want to see. No, thank you. My husband is my legal protector. I must look to him for help. Mr. Harper actually shivered. Don't, he said in a pleading tone. It is a bitter trial, but don't receive it in this way. You are only making the burden heavier." "'May I help him to his room and make him comfortable?' "'No,' she said fiercely. "'You may not. Comfortable? What does it matter?' "'But what are you going to do?' "'Nothing. Let him finish his nap. I hope he will waken in a refreshed state of mind.' "'But, dear madame, he is your husband.' "'I know it,' she said in a husky voice. "'God pity me!' Still Mr. Harper stood irresolute to leave her in loneliness and in such a state of heart seemed impossible to remain longer with the insulted wife and the drunken husband seemed equally impossible may i not go for your father he asked with a sudden hope in his heart mrs Monroe's lip quivered but she resolutely shook her head not for the world this would kill my father besides he warned me no mr harper i am utterly alone Never that, he said earnestly. You have the unfailing, ever-present friend, the one who knows your sorrow. May I not beseech you to carry this burden to him? I never understood such talk, she said bitterly. It never comforted me in the least. It doesn't now. God has everything in his hands. He can control the world. Why does he permit such burdens to come upon people? Why does he allow my husband to make a beast of himself, would you allow it, if you could help it? And are you more humane than God? Mr. Harper hesitated. It was such a strange time for the discussion of theological questions. Dear Madam, he said, speaking very gently, when you accepted Christ as your friend, did you not engage to take some things on trust, to believe that what you could not see was yet clear to the eye and the heart of your Saviour, and that He ruled? "'No,' she said passionately, "'I don't see it at all. It seems to me exactly as though Satan ruled. Who but he could make such an object of my husband as that? And if his plan succeed, instead of God's, which is the greater?' "'They will not succeed,' he said quietly, "'unless you let them. God is on your side. He will surely deliver you if you trust in Him. If you turn from Him, how can He help you?' she had quieted again, but answered him sullenly. I know very well he needn't have made a brute of himself unless he had chosen, but having chosen to do so, I don't see how I can help it. "'Have you tried to help it?' he asked eagerly. "'Mrs. Munroe, your husband is not a Christian, but he has a Christian wife. God has put a powerful weapon into your hands. Do you use it to the utmost?' "'I suppose you mean do I pray for him?' she said coldly. "'Why, yes, of course I pray for my husband. "'But you see how much good it has done thus far. "'There is something besides praying to be done in this world.' "'That is painfully true. "'I wonder if you and I are doing our very utmost. "'Until we are, we should not dare lay the unfinished work upon God. "'Mrs. Munro, may I not go for your cousin Faith?' "'Mrs. Munroe shivered visibly.' ''Not for the world,'' she said with energy. ''She is the last person that I want to see triumphing over my downfall. I will have no one. And if you please, Mr. Harper, I will not detain you longer. Some things are better endured alone.'' ''Alone with God,'' he said gently, and then the bell pealed through the house again. Mrs. Munroe roused suddenly to outside life. ''Mr. Harper, I beg you to spare me from seeing any one,'' "'Say anything. We are sick, dying, anything you like. "'Only don't let anyone into this house.' More and more bewildered by the strangeness of his position, Mr. Harper moved promptly toward the hall, but the watchful servant had preceded him, and was admitting Ermina and Maria Randolph. "'Good evening,' he said, coming toward them. "'Miss Randolph, you are fortunately just the person whom I wish to see in regard to a little business matter.' "'Will you both oblige me by stepping into the parlor a moment? "'That will do,' he added to the girl, as she turned on a flood of light. "'Where is Helen?' asked Ermina wonderingly, "'as Mr. Harper closed the door after the retreating servant. "'He turned toward her. "'She is in trouble,' he said briefly, "'and, I am afraid, does not want to see even you.' "'That would be an extraordinary state of mind,' Maria began lightly, but her sister interrupted her. "'Has Horace come home? Is he—' Then she stopped. Mr. Harper bowed in utter silence. "'Oh, poor Helen!' Ermina said, but Maria's voice had no tenderness. "'She was warned,' she said hoarsely. "'She must have known what would come. It is not as hard for her as it was for father, with his only son. Mr. Harper, do you know anything about our brother Tom?' he and Horace were together. Mr. Harper did not know, judging from Mr. Munroe's state, he could only surmise. He sat down on a sofa opposite to the one whereon Ermina had sunken when she made her one exclamation. What a white, frightened face she had! Maria noticed it, and her own seemed to grow harder. "'What a delightful world it is!' she said in great bitterness. "'So much sunshine and happiness!' EVERYTHING MOVES ALONG SO COMFORTABLY. I WONDER THERE ARE ANY INFIDELS. HUSH! said Mr. Harper, with stern dignity. For the miseries that people bring upon themselves it is weak and wicked to blame God. She turned toward him. Perhaps my father brought his troubles upon himself, she said fiercely. The best and tenderest man on earth, unselfish and patient and long-suffering, don't you dare to say that my father's trials are of his own making mr harper's voice was less severe but it was still firm your father is god's own child and is safe in his hands i am sure that he trusts him and his daughter should do no less your father would not like to hear you call in question his maker's work i am doing nothing of the sort mr harper i am simply enraged at some of his subjects at you and ermina for instance who profess to have such unbounded faith in prayer and what do you accomplish by it oh i wish i knew how to pray i would pray this sum of all horrors out of the world something in her earnest words surprised and silenced mr harper and ermina said impulsively i wish she did she was always the one to accomplish in our family the rest of us talk maria does it there is great force in what your sister has just said. Mr. Harper answered, addressing Ermina, as she had him. I do not wonder that people are surprised at our apparent inconsistencies. It is true that we accomplish very little with our mighty weapon, but it is not strange. A weapon cannot be expected to accomplish anything unless it is used. We all desire to do something for your sister and your brothers. Let us do the only thing that we can do." Let us pray. Miss Maria, I ask you to begin with us the lesson that you said you wished you knew. Then the three knelt down, and Mr. Harper prayed. All three of these people had been acting somewhat unlike their usual selves. Both the sisters lived a life of repression, so far as their inner selves were concerned. Both had been moved to speak a sentence or two from their hearts. Mr. Harper was not given to harshness, but his sense of reverence had been rudely shocked, and his voice had responded. Their present position together, kneeling in the parlour of their sister's house, was certainly not an ordinary one, and a less intensely and earnest party might have wondered what they would be likely to do next. They slipped, however apparently without jar, into their ordinary selves. "'Would we better go in and see Helen?' Ermina asked her sister as they arose, and Maria answered, in her usual composed tone, "'No, we can do no good, and of course she don't want to see us. Let us go home.' "'Then I will walk over with you,' Mr. Harper said. "'I am coming back here to make Mr. Monroe comfortable, and if you are needed for anything we'll let you know.' As he left them at their own door he said, "'Miss Maria, won't you pray for your brother Tom to-night?' No, said Maria with great seriousness, but I will ask Faith Halstead to do so. That will be much more to the point. End of chapter twenty